0: You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Cale Johnson with Ike McGossett, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the ABA's Antitrust Law 2017 Spring Meeting in Washington, D.C. And joining me now, I have Dion Woods Bell. Council for International Consumer Protection and Technical Assistance Program Coordinator at the FTC, as well as Vice Chair of Programming, uh, the Programming Committee of the ABA Antitrust Section. And also joining us is Laureen Capin, Council for International Consumer Protection at the FTC. Before we get started, I understand uh, generally it's best to give a, a disclaimer. I'm sure you're not talking on behalf of the entire FTC, so if you have something you'd like to say, please just go ahead and get that out of the way now.
1: Thank you. Um, Just want to make sure everybody knows that I'm speaking in my personal capacity and not speaking on behalf of the FTC or any commissioners. And the same goes for me.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, I'm glad that we got that out of the way. I think the best way to begin these things is usually just to find out a little bit about what it is that you do. Uh, Deanne, why don't we start with you? What is it that you do uh, at the FTC?
1: Thank you very much. So um, in the FTC, I'm in the Office of International Affairs. In the Office of International Affairs at the FTC, our main goal is to make sure that we work with our uh, Bureau of Consumer Protection and Competition, helping them on cases. So we uh, have a particular expertise with cross-border cases, and we try to um, make sure we get rid of fraud. I have a, a remit of working on technical assistance programs, and I also work at the United Nations.
0: Arne, I'm going to stop you all right there. Uh, what's a technical assistance program for those of us who don't know?
1: So technical assistance is basically capacity building for young consumer protection agencies. Uh, it's basically helping them to understand what we do and to think about how they might do what they do better.
0: Can you give me an example of a technical assistance program? Is there anything you could talk about specifically?
1: Sure. Um, My um, One project, and we have a lot of colleagues here, is called the African Consumer Protection Dialogue, where we partner with African Consumer Protection and Competition authorities and we work on concrete issues. It could be something like mobile payments where there are a lot of uh, countries that have different programs, like the East African and PESA. We work with them and think about the legal framework from an FTC perspective, and they work on their own issues. Another example we might think about is our international sweep cooperation in the area of travel and timeshare scams. Uh, We've worked with colleagues in the International Consumer Protection and Enforcement Network to partner with the FTC on the FTC's travel scam sweep uh, so that we have more international cooperation.
0: Is that a big issue, the uh, international travel scams?
1: The travel scams are indeed a big issue. Um, In that instance, we actually had state AGs as well as the FTC participating because you can find throughout the the United States and indeed throughout the world that travel scams are rampant.
0: What's the hallmark of of a travel scam like that? What should people be on the lookout for?
1: Well, um, always when we look at these things, it's it's really about disclosures, making sure that consumers get what they bargain for. And so you want to be sure that there's actually a there there. So many times in the travel scams and uh, timeshare scams, uh, consumers really aren't comfortable with what they signed up for. You want to make sure there's a good exit plan.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Laureen, let's go to you now. What is it that you do at the FTC?
1: Well,
2: um, just a word about the Federal Trade Commission. Um, We are the nation's primary consumer protection agency, and we have a competition mission also, but I work on the consumer protection side. And I work with my friend and colleague, Dion, in our Office of International Affairs. And um, my focus is also assisting our litigators when their cases involve international issues, international targets, international assets. A lot of the frauds these days, they don't just live in one country. You may have um, scammers in Russia um, targeting victims in the U.S. and sending their money to the Grand Cayman Islands. Um, So We try and um, make sure that our litigators um, are aware of the international complexities that their cases may involve, Um, and we also work with our counterparts around the world um, to share information, to provide investigative assistance, and to cultivate relationships so that when we have a case that involves their jurisdiction, we can work with them to address these cross-border frauds in a way. where the jurisdictional um, borders actually don't work to thwart enforcement efforts.
0: That's very interesting So, Laureen What is uh, an example of a recent case that you've worked on that you can talk about? Is there anything recent you've done that you could just tell us a little bit about?
2: Sure. Um, There's uh, a case that is public um, where we worked with our colleagues in the Canada Competition Bureau. Um, This was um, a premium text messaging case um, brought by the Competition Bureau against three of the largest Canadian telcos, um, including Rogers, Telus, and... um, and one that I forgot the name of. Um, But basically, um, consumers were being charged for um, premium text messages um, that they didn't realize they were being charged for. And there was information that our colleagues in Canada wanted from a U.S.-based entity. And we have statutory authority to assist our foreign enforcement colleagues to get that information. So in that case, we actually took depositions of the folks in the U.S. company. Um, ask them questions that our Canadian colleagues were interested in, and they were able to use it in their case. So that's an example of a case um, where there were cross-border components in terms of the information that our friends in Canada needed that we were able to provide.
0: I may need your help in a telecom case. I mean, when I, I'm in Detroit right now. <laughs> Uh, and when I sit in my office in the Renaissance Center, I will occasionally look down and I will see that my phone has switched over to Rogers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I'm, I'm wondering if there's a bill outstanding for me somewhere in Canada.
2: <laughs> well, um, we'll so talk offline about that, Cam.
0: <laughs> be on the lookout for that. So, Dan, what is it that brought you to the sort of international aspect of what you do? Is there something that um, drove you to this particular area of the law?
1: That's a good question. I think um, just a little bit, uh, I have known for a very long time that I wanted to work on international issues. It was just a matter of, of what my area of focus would be. I had the great pleasure when I was a, a young person of doing a foreign exchange program to South America, to Chile. And going to Chile just changed my life and made me become a bilingual person. So I speak Spanish and then I learned French and then it was just a matter of what shall I do. I did have the pleasure of of working on a lot of other international issues, I was was really, um, my curiosity was peaked with the FTC because of the dual mandate. Lorraine very well stated, uh, we do both. I used to be an M&A attorney in the private sector. And so when I came to the FTC, thinking about the fact that we are pro-competitive and we also uh, protect consumers and deal with privacy and data security issues, it's just a, a, a fantastic mix and portfolio that we have.
0: Oh, that's great. Now, you also have a very complex educational background, is that right? Mm You've, I don't been, know if it's complex. A, 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 I think it's a really of <laughs> <laughs> It's impressive is
2: what
1: it is. Uh, I don't want to
0: put you on the spot. What's your favorite mascot from a school you attended?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> do I have to say the Wolverine? <laughs>
0: I, think, I think you do.
1: I think it's a Wolverine all the way. All right, I'll,
0: I'll accept that answer. Uh, and what about you? I guess I don't know Go quite Gators. about as much. Oh, a Gators fan. Well, we just had one of those in here earlier for the last podcast, but... Um, <laughs> We will see you in Dallas in uh, a few months for the opening game of the season. What brought you to the ABA for the first time?
1: I came to the ABA because I was really hungry for more engagement with my peers in the United States. As as Lorene and I both stated, we work a lot with our counterparts outside of America. And we, of course, have fantastic colleagues at the FTC. Uh, The ABA provided an opportunity to really broaden my perspective and my exposure to other professionals. And it's been a fantastic ride. That's really why I came
0: and you're currently vice chair now of the programming committee right correct what do you do in that capacity
1: Oh, in the programming committee, we take a look at the antitrust section programs uh, that are run throughout the year, and we try to make sure that they're compliant with section poli- with the section policies and procedures. We also try to think of innovative and new ways to, to bring programming, and I particularly came to try to increase the amount of international consumer protection and privacy uh, elements of the section's programs.
0: So you mentioned international privacy. Uh, what is the main uh, sort of hot topic in an international privacy right now? Is there one big thing you could point us to?
1: Well, yeah, we're um, going on right now. There's a cross-border privacy session, and they're talking a lot about the privacy shield. Um, they're talking a lot about the program, the way that we exchange data and information with the European, with the Europeans. Yeah.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's interesting. So at the Supreme Meeting, I, I guess, uh, over the years, you've been to more than one Spring Meeting, as I understand it. It's uh, more and more, I think, as I've, I've sat here over the years, I've seen more and more international people attending these types of conferences. What have you done to try to bring in more international attorneys to the ABA Spring Meeting and just get them more involved in the ABA?
1: Well, we have, in um, my particular remit is like, um, is, is in the consumer protection side. And so the antitrust section has a really broad exposure and experience with colleagues on the antitrust side, but on the consumer protection side, there's been less scope and participation internationally. So since I'm so fortunate to be in the Office of International Affairs at the Federal Trade Commission, where we work with our counterpart agencies throughout the world on the consumer protection and privacy side, we have a particular uh, way that we engage them already. And so so giving some op- having some opportunity to share information about the uh, experiences and the programs coming up at the ABA in an informal way, and then allowing those colleagues to make their own decisions, of course, about whether or not they're interested was one way.
0: Have you seen good results from that so far?
1: Yeah, we have seen good results from that so far. I think the chair of the uh, section is very, he expressed uh, that he was very pleased with the number of international and privacy participating in this, in this meeting, and I think it's only going to go up. It's just a matter of time before colleagues know about the brain trust that is the ABA antitrust section and about the level of quality uh, that you get when you come here and how you can engage and how you can learn and grow and what you can contribute. So definitely nowhere but up.
0: Uh, does your or do you, your respective roles require a lot of international travel, or do you mostly stay in the states?
1: It's really a
2: combination. Um, it really is about relationships. So um, we do a lot of work right here at home uh, through uh, telephone calls, teleconferences, webinars, Um, but we do travel to have face-to-face meetings with our colleagues because there really is no substitute for the the face-to-face interaction um, and the relationship building that happens when you um, can spend time with your colleagues, uh, engaging in discussions and uh, grappling with the issues. So we do both.
0: Uh, If there were uh, a word of advice I guess you could give to law students or young attorneys that might be interested in what you do and say, you know, I think I might want to do that. How do I get involved? What advice would you give them?
2: Um, Well, first of all, the FTC has a fabulous website. Um, where we have a lot of information about our recent cases. We have educational materials that are fun, succinct, and informative for both business and the public. For example, I get asked a lot about identity theft. People are very worried about that. We have great identity theft materials. We have great materials that um, are aimed specifically at teens and how to make them more savvy about um, realizing that ads don't always tell the truth and you need to be a little bit skeptical. So the first thing I would say is come to our website. The second is we have internships available, and that's a great way to get a taste of what the FTC does. Um, And also, you can always pick up the phone and call to people because I know personally that uh, myself and my colleagues are always delighted to talk about the great work our agency does and the cool mission we have and uh, the great opportunities specifically for lawyers to become involved at the FTC and, and join our mission to protect the public.
0: Yeah, I have had a chance to look at the website and seen some of those materials. There's a lot of great stuff on there for anybody who's interested. And obviously, you've heard today it's a great mission that they have. Uh, just one last question before we close. If I get a lot of emails from potential new clients that happen to have a lot of misspellings misspell- and come from strange email addresses, should I be concerned <laughs> about those? Or should I, should I just send them my wiring instructions for a deposit of some kind?
1: Well, I think you might be talking about something that's commonly known as a 419 scam or a Nigerian fraud scam sometimes, but the Nigerians do not like them having their name, so maybe we stick with 419. <laughs> but I think consumers, yeah, you have to be careful about that kind of thing, and you should report any kind of issue you have to the FTC. We have, as Laureen said, a fantastic website. You can report your consumer complaints at ftc.gov, uh, where you can also lodge those kinds of complaints. On our part, I think what you must know... Know that complaints is actually something that I'm very passionate about and, in, in, and when consumers report their cons- complaints it gives the FTC an opportunity to gather evidence and then to bring cases, law enforcement actions on behalf of consumers, though not individual complaints. Looking at trends and data, we're really able to, to gather what are those hot button issues for consumers. And the same is true of our counterpart agencies. So we have the benefit of working together with them to try to um, see what issues are the most salient and to try to Uh, bring those issues. And back to your comment about young people, I think young people are particularly jazzed about the FTC and about the ABA because of the uh, suite of technology issues that we look at. Uh, Right before coming here, I was in a session about the Internet of Things, something the FTC has convened workshops about and written a report about, Um, also looking at financial technology issues and things of that nature. Um, The new technology right now presents both benefits and potential uh, pitfalls for consumers and the FTC is on top of it. The ABA is also having programming that's relevant to all these areas.
2: And one other bit of sage advice, besides being savvy and cautious about what emails you respond to, particularly um, in the age of social media, is really be mindful of what information you are putting out there uh, on your social media accounts, because that can uh, be used by people who don't have your best interests at heart to perhaps rip you off. So you just want to be careful about what information you uh, you post on social media, as well as being careful about what emails you respond to with your personally identifiable information.
0: So I shouldn't keep like my first street growing up and my first pet's name and all that on my Facebook profile. <laughs> no.
1: no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and don't
2: use those uh, items of information for your passwords either.
0: All right. Fair enough. That's good advice. Uh, well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program today. I would really like to thank um, Dionne Woods, Bell and Laureen Capen for joining us today. If our listeners have questions or wish to follow up with either of you, is there a way that they can reach you?
1: Sure. Um, please feel free to reach me, Dion Woods-Bell, at
0: dwoodsbell at ftc.gov.
2: And Capen at ftc.gov. I'm always happy to answer folks' questions.
0: Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Cale Johnson, and until next time, thank you all for listening.
2: Thanks, Thanks you. so much. Bye.